turn, if you will, to our text this morning, which comes from Jude. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 23. Verses 17 through 23. We are fast approaching the close of our study here in Jude. This is our second to last message in Jude. Next, well, next week, Damni will be here. He'll be preaching next Sunday. And then uh, the following Sunday will be our last, our last message in Jude. And then I think we're going to move to study Philippians. Okay? Study Paul's letter to the Philippians. But please look with me then, if you will, here to Jude, starting in verse 17, for our reading of God's Word. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by their flesh. Thus far is the reading of God's Word this morning. Now for us, rational creatures, life consists of either growth or loss. This can be growth or loss in regards to both knowledge as well as in regard to our ability. But rarely, as human beings, do we remain stagnant. Do we remain the same? As day by day by day passes, we either grow or we lose. We progress or we regress. We were all taught in school math. Perhaps we had algebra and geometry and maybe for some overachievers it was calculus. But if you didn't move on to a profession, if you didn't move on to a job in which you used those skills, over time you lost the ability to do it. I know from experience when my children come up to me at night and say, Dad, can you help me with this math homework? And I look at it I remember doing something like that, but I no longer can do it like I used to be able to do it. I'm sure everyone has had a similar experience. Or how many uh, professions are there now out there in which you need to get recertified every so many years? Perhaps you need to uh, take a test to, to demonstrate that you've kept up on the knowledge and ability to do that profession. Or perhaps you have to engage in continuing ed- education as a professional in the in the, in, the, in the job force, you might have to take a college course. Or maybe it's an annual conference you have to go to to keep up with the latest trends in the field to make sure that you still know all that it is you ought to, to know in order to live out and to do that profession you've been called to do. Think of our own life. Maybe some of us were, were good athletes. Maybe you were a good baseball player or a good volleyball player. But maybe it's been years or even decades since you last played. And if you haven't followed the sport, your knowledge of it, you begin to lose. And if you haven't played the sport, your ability to perform likewise fades away. And so any of us who step back onto the field are nowhere near the players we once used to be. Or every one of us who are no longer children, 
know what it's like to lose strength or to lose energy or flexibility and agility. We used to be able to be on the, on the go constantly, always doing something. But now we get tired. Our body needs more rest. We used to be able to, to pick up and lift heavy objects and move it. We can't do that anymore, at least now with a lot of help. Uh, bending down used to be not that big of an issue. Now it's more of a task, right? We have reached our physical peak and now we are declining. We are regressing. While our children are, ga- are gaining. They're gaining in energy and in strength and in abilities while we are losing. So just from these few examples, we see in life, either we are growing or we are losing. We are increasing or we are decreasing. And brothers and sisters, this is the same in the Christian life. You are either being built up in the Christian life or you are decaying. For every individual in this church is either increasing in sin or decreasing in sin. You are increasing in faith or you are decreasing in faith. You are increasing in works of godliness and righteousness or you are decreasing in works of righteousness and godliness. You are increasing and growing in your love for God and for one another, or you are decreasing in love for God or one another. And we know that as believers, we are called to increase, we are called to grow in all things that pertain to righteousness. This is a mark that we are true believers. We can think back to our study in Colossians, chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul prays for the saints. And what is it that he asks the Father for the saints? He says that they would be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer is that they would continually increase in knowledge so that they may walk in a manner worthy of their calling. If you, brothers and sisters, desire to faithfully walk before the Lord each day, you ought to be every day increasing in your knowledge of the Savior. This means daily study must be a part of our lives. We must make study a habit. Then we become more familiar with what it is God has called us to do. How we ought to worship Him. How we are to live before Him. Reading each day allows us then to be reminded and refreshed what is His will for us. And we, being a weak and feeble people, need constant reminding before, or else we're going to forget. We can all attest to that. We need reminding. As with anything, like our early examples, if you don't do something, you forget it. Just like with our example with the math problems. You don't do it over time, you will forget. And when your knowledge of something decreases, then by necessity, your uh, ability thus to perform decreases as well. If your knowledge of it decreases, how can you have the same ability to perform it? You can't. And so if your knowledge of Scripture decreases because you stop reading, your ability thus to uh, do the will of God will decrease as well. If you stop praying, over time you're going to lose the ability to pray aright. We must be those who continue in reading Scriptures and praying. Look at one other passage that demonstrates the importance of growth in the Christian life. It comes from uh, 2 Peter 
starting uh, chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> Here Peter tells us the importance of growth in the Christian life. Second Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 5. He says this, For this very reason, which he just said prior, because you've been called by the Lord. So, this, so now he's saying, For this very reason, because you've been called by the Lord, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and you are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the same thing Jude is telling the the, the saints here. Christians, as we anticipate the coming of our Lord, we ought to be increasing in faith and practice. This is how we will not be ineffective in the Christian life. This is how we will know that we are His. This is how we know who our brothers and sisters are in the faith if we are increasing. This is how we know that, that heavenly inheritance that awaits us is ours if there is increase, if we are being built up in the faith. This is Jude's message, this whole letter. He writes for the purpose of exposing the false teachers and exhorting the true believers. And how does he do this? He points to the false teachers' lack of faith and evil works. And he tells the saints, the godly, this is how we know that we are the saints if we are increasing. And this is how we know of the false teachers because they have a total lack of godliness. And so this leads us then into our first point of the morning, which is living in the last days. The first point of our morning, living in the last days. This is the first of three points. Our second point will be living in light of Christ. And our third point will be living with our neighbor. So first then to look at living in the last days. In verse 18, as Jude speaks of those predictions of the apostles, He says this, look at verse 18 once more. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, people devoid of the Spirit. The last days are now, brothers and sisters. This is how the author of Hebrews opens up to the saints in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, long ago, And at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now He speaks to us in these last days through His Son. The last days began with the coming of Christ and will continue until that last day when Christ returns to execute judgment. And so Jude warns the saints about those things and those people who do the very things which the apostles said would occur. And he points them out to us, how we can identify them in these last days. He says they are like the Israelites who lack belief in the wilderness. They are like those sexually immoral. They are like those who reject authority, who are devoid of the Spirit. They are those of this world, those who cause divisions. Now we know that these false teachers were in the churches whom Jude writes to. They cozied themselves up amongst the people of God, pretending to be just like them. 
They entered and were able to enter the churches because they fooled people. People actually thought they were believers. And perhaps for a time, they looked to be the part. But remember what we said in the beginning. People are either progressing or regressing. They're increasing or decreasing. And sadly, how often is this the case within the church? Seeing the decrease. But unbelievers can only keep up the facade so long before who they truly are comes to light. I'm sure many of us have stories of friends, family members, people that we're close to, whom we worshipped with, who we fellowship with, who we would have thought 100% these people are Christians. Never giving a thought to the fact that they, that they weren't, that they were just putting up a facade. But over time they fell away. Perhaps it started with not coming to Bible study. Perhaps it started with uh, irregular attendance to church. And then you begin to talk with them and then maybe it's questioning God's Word. Then it turns into perhaps living in sin openly. And then maybe it's mocking you for your faith. They say, man, why do you go to church? Why do you spend so much time there? Why do you spend your evenings praying and reading God's Word and Devoting yourself to family worship. I used to do that. It was no fun. I like to go out now. I like to party, have fun. I like to live my life. You don't know what you're missing. And how heartbreaking is that for us who have experienced that with people that we love. People who have fallen away. People that we witnessed who once proclaimed Christ now ridicule Him. People who for a time said they lived in conformity to the law now reject it. Those who were amongst us who helped build the church up, but now seemingly look to tear the church down. It's a constant reminder by Jude that judgment is coming. Jude says this is a sign that the last days are here. This is what Paul warns the Ephesian elders, if you remember in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He calls the Ephesian elders to himself and he tells them, about his impending imprisonment. And he says, this is the last time, brothers, we're going to see each other face to face. But he says to them in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You see, man apart from Christ cannot but help to increase in ungodliness. Brothers and sisters, you here who proclaim Christ, if you are not growing in godliness, you are growing in sin. You are doing one or the other. And so, brothers and sisters, which are you? Which are you? Are you growing in the faith of Christ? Or are you growing in the sin of this world? Will you be drawn away, deceived by those fierce wolves which Paul speaks of? Will it be said of you down the line years, many years from now? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, they would have continued with us. If you say, no, that is not I, then brothers and sisters, you must be alert. For looking at that same text in Acts, after... The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesian elders of what's to happen. In verse 31, he then tells them this. 
Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. How is it that we are to be made alert? We are being built up in the Word. What does the author of Hebrews say in chapter 5, verse 14? Warning of an apostasy. He says to the people who, who weren't growing, but who ears were, whose ears were growing dull, he says this, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We become alert, brothers and sisters, through the practice of constant reading and hearing of God's Word, being built up in that solid food, in the deep things of God, on chewing and digesting all the hidden treasures found in Christ, not growing cold to the Word, but being overwhelmed with a desire, with a joy to feed on His truth so that we may distinguish good from evil, that we may know the ungodly who seek to do us harm and the godly who seek our advantage. And in hearing His Word, if we are really His, having the Spirit apply those truths to our life, we will demonstrate that we have been regenerated based on God's grace by then doing His will. As those who ultimately turn out to be unbelievers, the reprobate cannot do the things of God for they have been built upon another foundation. Remember the parable of the, of the, uh, of the two builders. There are those who build their foundation upon the sand. And what happens? The wind came and the flood and the floodwaters came in and the house crashed. It fell. These unbelievers who have built themselves up on other things other than Christ, when the cares of the world have come in and drawn them away, they too have fallen and crashed. But brothers and sisters, you and I have been built upon another foundation. We have not been built upon the foundation of sand, but on that rock. Christ, who is the the rock of our foundation. And so being built up in this faith, Jude has called the saints to contend for the faith once and for all in these last days. Which leads us then to our second point of the morning, which is living in light of Christ. As Jude has just described how the saints are to live in these last days, warning them not to be deceived. Jude doesn't just tell them how they are not to live, but he says as those who are kept from Christ, this is how you are to live. What should characterize the life of those who are waiting upon the return of Christ. And Jude says in verse 20 and 21, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, brothers and sisters, we have been called with a heavenly calling and that call enables us to receive the word of truth. That very word being Christ who is the founder and perfecter of the faith. Christ being that chief cornerstone. And so it explains why Jude uses this language of building up, this picture of building upon something that's already been laid. He's not calling us to do that which the the world likes to do. The world says, I I, want to find out 
who I am. I want to find my own truth. I want to go on my own spiritual journey to discover who I am. No, neither is Jude giving them ten steps for a better you. Although they are being infiltrated by people who are polluting and contaminating the church, Jude is not supplying them with an earthly message, but a heavenly one. He is saying to them, there are these wolves in sheep's clothing who desire to tickle the ears of the people, to draw you away. How often is this the case in churches today? People who, who preach an abundance of goods or, or knocking out those stumbling blocks in your way to success. But this is not Jude's message. Jude's message is one in which he desires that all be presented mature in Christ. This is the goal of every gospel minister, to present the flock mature in Christ. And this should be our desire, to be presented mature in Christ. Jude echoes the same thing that Paul says. Paul in Colossians 1 verse 28 says, Him we proclaim, this is Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so how do you and I mature? Well, Paul says through warning and teaching. Growing in wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Of that faith which has been handed down through the prophets and the apostles. This is not what Jude has done this entire letter. Teaching the saints and warning them of the ungodly and the punishment which is to come to them. Yet Paul goes on to say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. The very thing that Jude tells us. We are to be building yourself up in the most holy faith. The foundation has been laid. The Spirit which you have been given enables you now to build yourselves up in Christ. We've all probably uh, played with Legos. We've built Legos or we've watched our kids or grandkids kids build with Legos. And they labor to stack piece upon piece upon piece. Well, brothers and sisters, we too, in a similar manner, are to labor to be building ourselves in like manner in the faith of Jesus Christ. This world labors to build upon and to gain all that they want and desire for themselves as they cling to this world. But we are called to cling to the world to come. And so this means constant progression in the Christian life. As those kids who build the Legos, they continue to stack them and build them until complete. Until there's no more building to be done. This is the same thing that we are called to do. We are called to build until complete. But brothers and sisters, we will not be complete. We will not be perfected until Christ our perfecter returns. Which implies then to us that we must constantly, daily, be building ourselves up and be growing in the faith until He returns. Remember, we're either growing or decaying. And so, as we grow, we are to be dwelling on the things of God. This is how we grow. Keeping ourselves heavenly minded. Keeping the right frame of mind through prayer. Not allowing ourselves to get distracted with the cares of this world. Not allowing our hearts to grow cold to our Lord. But keeping ourselves in the love of God. Which means receiving the means of grace. 
We are to be those who sit under the preached word. We are to be those who receive the means of grace, the sacraments. These are the instruments that God uses to build up His people. Yet, brothers and sisters, we are called to act in response. God has given us the ability to act through regeneration. Yet our acting is not why we are saved. It is a response to God's love. We act because God first acted. He gave us His Spirit. He has implanted His Word within our hearts. Today there is a small movement by those who would probably be considered reformed. And it's an, it's an old idea which is kind of being rehashed. Um, it's, an old, it's an old idea which posits this idea that there is a double justification for believers. And a lot of these people are popular and they have a large following and they have a large influence. And what they say is that there is this initial justification through faith. One is initially justified upon belief in Christ. But then they say there is another justification that awaits at the end. And that justification is based on what we have done in this life. It is based on our deeds. Our, and that, that will be our second justification. That will confirm the first justification. But brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that this is not what Jude sang when he sang to you, build yourselves up in the most holy faith or keep yourselves in the love of God. This is not what Jude is saying to us. He's not saying that their works are the basis for their justification at the judgment. But rather, he's pointing out that we are those already who he said are called, loved, and kept. And now he tells us how to live in light of that reality and how we are to do those deeds in keeping with those who have been called in a response to God's saving act already. We will be vindicated at the last day based on what Christ has done for us, not based on our works. As Jude is highlighting already, how we will know who are those Christ has saved, as they will deny Him in their works, the ungodly, but the godly will give evidence of that supernatural work which will manifest itself in godly living. So there's a distinction to be made there. We are not justified at the end based on our works, but we are justified in the end based on Christ's works, which He has already imputed His righteousness to us. There's already been that justification. We have already been declared not guilty. Now Jude also exhorts the saints not only to be building themselves up in the faith, but also to be praying in the Holy Spirit. As this is a way in which we continue to be built up, this is a way in which we keep ourselves in the love of God. As the chief exercise of of the believer is prayer. This is how we are distinct, brothers and sisters, from the world. As when things good happen in our lives, the world turns to themselves. And when bad things happen in their lives, they strap up their bootstraps and they they think they can fix it by themselves. Where as Christians, we turn to the Lord in prayer. And our faith grows in prayer. For when we pray and we see God answer our prayer, it cannot help but increase our trust in Him. It cannot help but draw us to Him the next time even quicker in prayer. 
Seeing that our good God answers our prayer and our love for Him thus swells in response to the love He has shown to us. Yet in order to pray aright, we must pray in the Spirit, Jude says. And praying in the Spirit isn't uh, some incoherent babble. It isn't noises which we say is the Spirit. But praying in the Spirit means that we are being led. We are being directed by the Spirit. He stirs our affections to God to want to pray. He gives us the words to say as the Spirit is our very intercessor here on earth. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. It is the Spirit who brings to our minds remembrance of the promises of God when we kneel to Him in prayer. He allows us to remember that God will answer our prayers if it is done in accordance with His will. And so, brothers and sisters, we must see the importance of prayer. If it is our desire to progress in the faith, we must be a prayerful people. If you desire that God will answer your prayer according to those promises of God, if you desire to receive those blessings and benefits of Christ, you must ask for them. Yet it must be in accordance with God's will revealed to us in His Word. And in doing so, God's love will be shown to us. And our love to God will grow in response to what He has done. So let us pray daily and often. If something good happens in our life, let us turn to God in thankfulness. If we are dealing with temptation, let us turn to God that He may give us the strength to flee. If we are dealing with trial and affliction, let us turn to God and ask that we will glorify Him in it. But let us continue in prayer. We must be devoted. We must be steadfast in prayer. For this is the mark of a true believer. As we demonstrate our dependence not on ourselves, but our dependence upon God. Now seeing how we are called to live in these last days in light of Christ, let, our, let us turn our attention then to our last point of the morning, which is how believers are called to live with our neighbor. Not everything is so cut and dry. We can't read everyone's heart. There isn't an E stamped on the back of the elect's uh, of the elect's back, knowing who are elect and who are not. And so although Jude tells us how we can identify the ungodly who live in this wicked manner, and we can identify the, the godly who are constantly progressing and growing, what about those who we're not sure of? Who we're not sure of if they're really saved or not. Knowing that they, every man and woman will stand before God and have to give an account for every idle word and deed. Well, Jude says to us in verse 22 and 23, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by their flesh. You see, not everyone has the same degree of faith. There are some who are weaker in faith and some who are stronger. Yet the weaker are no less a Christian than the stronger. For Christ died upon the cross for the faith of the weak brother, just in the same manner he died upon the cross for the faith of the strong. And so what is our response to be 
in response to the one who is struggling with their faith. Maybe they have a spouse. Or maybe they have parents who aren't believers who cause them to question their faith. What should we respond with them? How should we respond? What is the case? What should we respond to the one who has turned from believing in Christ and has exercised ungodly deeds? Perhaps in the church, they've seen the messiness of the church and they say, if this is what Christianity is, I want no parts of it. Perhaps they fall into sin. They've experienced tragedy in their life and instead of turning to Christ, they turn away from Him. Perhaps turning to the bottle. How are we to respond to them? or How are we to respond to those who live overtly in sin? Who don't care about the rebuke of their brothers and sisters? Who love their sin and don't want to turn from it? Well, the response is to be done in wisdom, yet it is to be done differently upon each situation. For the weak brother, we are to show mercy and compassion. We are to come alongside them and answering every question they have in all kindness. For others, knowing that death is knocking at everyone's door, not knowing when it approaches, perhaps we come to them in more severity. Perhaps we come to them giving them a harsher rebuke that they would turn back from their sin. That they would demonstrate themselves true believers. For the one who is living in sin can have no assurance that salvation is theirs. And knowing that God has appointed once for man to die and then comes the judgment, we need to, uh, we need to be uh, going after these brothers with all fervor in attempts to bring them back to the faith. But then there are also those who live overtly in sin in whom we are to have nothing to deal with them. We are to cast them out of the churches. Because even... Their garments that they wear can stain and contaminate and pollute the church. This is what Paul says, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he's writing to the church in Corinth. And we have that one brother who was uh, having relations with his father's wife. And what was Paul's response to him? You are not to associate with such a person. Purge them from the assembly of the Lord. For their sin can cause harm to the rest of the church. And one of the marks of a true church is discipline. The true marks of the church, preaching the word, administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. If we want to be obedient to God, and we want to be a true church, and we must exercise that authority and power which He has given the church, casting out those who live overtly in sin, who refuse to repent for their sin. For Jude in these seven verses has been telling the church that we are living in the last days. Persecution is here. Those who uh, seek to cause division in the church are here. Do not allow them to do this. And we are to be building ourselves up in the faith. We are to be building one another up in the faith. We are to be keeping ourselves in the love of God. And we are to be living with our neighbor and either coming alongside of them and helping them return to the faith which they are questioned or abandoned, or it means we are to cast them out in hopes that they would turn back and come once more. But this is important for judgment is so severe. Think about if you were living in an apartment building and the apartment caught on fire. Would you run out of the building saying nothing? No, you would run out of the building knocking on doors, telling people that the building is on fire. Exit, get out. 
And so how much more should we be doing this to our brothers and sisters in Christ knowing that eternal judgment awaits those who do not turn unto Christ? And so, brothers and sisters, we are to do this, yet not allowing ourselves to be polluted with sin, laboring ourselves to be growing in godliness as we wait upon the arrival of our Lord where He will lead His people into eternal life. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You give warning to Your people that we are in these last days. You tell us how we can know this and how we can know the ungodly from the godly. Father, we pray that You would make known to us those who would seek to do us harm in our disadvantage. Lord, that You would cause us to desire to read so that we may distinguish the good from the evil, the wolves in sheep's clothing from the good shepherds You have given to look over the flock. Father, we pray that You laying that foundation, that chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ, that we would desire to continue to build ourselves up in the faith through the means of grace, through the hearing of the Word through the receiving of the sacraments, that we would desire to spend our time not idly at home, not looking to the things of this world, but rather be reading Your Word and be praying, growing in faith. Father, we ask that You would give us a desire to aid our brothers and sisters in Christ, that when we see those who have turned unto sin or who are doubting Your Word, that we would not shy away from coming up unto them, coming alongside of them and helping them in any way that we can. Whether that is doing so in gentleness and kindness, helping a brother who is teeter-tottering on the truthfulness of your word, or whether that means rebuking others more severely for their sin. But we pray, Lord, that you would give us boldness and wisdom that we may know what to do in each given circumstance. And so, Father, we ask that You would apply these words this day to our hearts and our minds that we have learned that we would not leave out of here this week and live as if we have not heard Your Word and been blessed by it. But, Father, we pray that You would, by Your Spirit, teach us all that You would have us to do and that He would stir our minds and our affections and our will to do those things which You have taught us this week. And, Father, we ask all these things in Your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.